Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And then if you don't have your Bible with you, uh, it'll be up here on the screen, if that's easier for you to like follow along with. So we're going to kind of move through in three little chunks the whole of uh, Genesis chapter 1. So starting with verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now move down about halfway through chapter 1 to verses 26 through 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And finally, go down to the very last sentence in, uh, or second to last sentence in Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. I don't know if y'all have heard this story before, but it's one I really like. Um, so there, uh, the reason I'm, y'all may have heard it is because, I'll just flip back to it. Uh, it's because, I think I heard Will say it one time, but maybe not. So there's two young fish. And they're swimming along, and an older fish, swimming the opposite direction, passes them. And as he goes by, he goes, morning, boys. How's the water? The two young fish smile and nod, and they keep swimming. And then, eventually, one of the fish looks over at his friend, and he goes, what the heck is water? The idea of that story is, it's actually by an author named David Foster Wallace. Um, He gave it like a college address. The point of that story is, is that a lot of the time, the most important things in life, uh, the things that we're constantly swimming through, and the things that actually we can't even live without, they're oftentimes the things that we're just seeing right through and missing. They're the things that we don't pay attention to, or we just fail to talk about. And the doctrine of creation and the image of God, which is what I'm talking about this morning, it's one of those things. So let me show you what I mean on that. Um, So going back to verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1 in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you see the secret that's inside of that sentence? So it doesn't say, in the beginning, God and the heavens and the earth came into being. No, it says, in the beginning, God, who was already there, created the heavens and the earth. This is the beginning of our story, but it's not the beginning of God's. And why is that? Well, we know from the rest of Scripture, the reason is, is because God is from everlasting. He's eternal. Something that Will talked about whenever he was talking about the Trinity and some of the attributes of God. But don't just take my word for it. Flip over with me to Romans chapter 1, and we're going to kind of use Paul's riffing as he's reflecting on creation as a way of guiding us through the remainder of our time together. And he's going to talk about God's um, eternality. So Romans chapter 1, verse 20 you have your Bible, go there. Keep kind of your finger, though, on Genesis 1, because we're going to be going back and forth here. Okay, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For his, that's God's, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived 
ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. His eternal power. How is God's eternal power shown in creation? Well, think about it. Nothing comes from nothing, right? Everything that we know comes from something. You have plants that come from seeds. You have animals that come from their parents. We come from ours. Everything, buildings, any, any work of art, any piece of music created by somebody. Nothing comes from nothing, but everything comes from something. But to be more accurate, the way that Paul is seeing through and seeing clearly to the truth, everything comes from someone. If you're finding it hard this morning, you're in a place in your life, in your walk of faith, where you're finding it hard to believe that God actually exists, I've been in that place before. It can be very helpful, and my encouragement to you is, as you walk out of here this morning, start looking around and just ask yourself, where did all of this come from? Because accident doesn't quite give a valid foundation for the complexity and the beauty of creation. But now let's stop thinking about philosophically and shift real quick. Think about this experientially. Every single thing was created by one being. That's talking about light and the sun, moon, and stars that shine it. Talking about the sea and every fish that swims in it, the sky and every single bird that flies through it, the earth, every single landmass, peak and valley, every plant that grows in it, every single beast that moves on the earth, every bug that crawls on it, every single human being, everything that you know, everything that you see, and everything that you don't see but you know is filling the rest of creation, that mind-blowingly massive amount of things also throughout time, all from one being. That is the eternal power of God. And so if this morning, if you believe in God, that's something that's not very difficult for you, but you're finding it hard to worship him. Like you're getting alone and he just seems, it seems kind of dry and difficult to stir yourself up to worship him. Stop and, and consider his eternal power and that everything came from him. And if it, if it helps you, go outside and go for a walk. Feel the sun on your face. Find a bird in the sky. Go to a park. Watch someone play with their dog. Look for a squirrel in a tree, fish in a stream, maybe an ant in the grass, and let the universe, talk, talk to another person. Just let the universe that God has created lead you to worship its creator and his eternal power. Let that stir you up this morning and throughout the rest of your life. But there's a, look back at me in Romans chapter 1 verse 20. There's a second thing that Paul says is most clearly shown about God through his creation. Do you see where that is? His eternal power and his divine nature. But what is divine nature? It, it, that's, in other words, it's his transcendent character. It's his, his godness, for bat, lack of a, a better term. And I, I really, I love the way that Paul puts this. He says, I mean the Holy Spirit through Paul. <laughs> I like how the Holy Spirit says things. Has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. I love that word perceived. To, to perceive, it means that you're seeing through something. It's like to recognize or suddenly become aware of. And I'm wondering, have you perceived God's godness in creation? Have you been able to see through 
light that lets us, you know, see our surroundings right now to the one who understands everything. It's pointing to him. Have you been able to see through the sky, which is unimaginably big and beautiful, to the one who is the greatest and the most glorious? Have you been able, whenever you look at the sea, if you've been to the, the beach or the ocean, something that is unfathomably powerful, are you able to look through it and see the one who is the most powerful? Or think about the earth. Have, are, have you been able to, to look at the earth and the way that plants grow out of it and they all sustain every living thing and you're able to see through that to the one who sustains the entire universe? Are you able to look up at the sun and the moon and the stars and how they never miss their paths? They're amazing, like wondrous paths through the sky for good and evil people to enjoy. Are you able to see through those things to the one who is the most faithful, he's the most wondrous, and he's the most generous? Are you able to see in the playfulness of whales or in the white feathers on a dove to the one who is the most fun and who is the most pure as well? Or if you look at these strong animals like, like a cow. If I got in a fight with a cow, I get destroyed. But they're so docile and peaceful. Or an ant, so small and yet it's constantly at work. Are you able to see through those to the one who's the most meek and humble even though he has the greatest power in the universe and the one who's the most hardworking, constantly providing for those that he loves. If, if this morning your difficulty is not believing in God or being stirred up to worship him, but it's just really a, a boredom that you've kind of developed, like Will talked about at the beginning of this, there's just this sense of like, I'm going through the motions. I know the rhythm yeah, I, 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 I get who God is. So like, here's a test for you. If you think about God, is, is it really easy to just kind of check a box and be done with wonder at him? Yeah, I know he's, he's eternal. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's perfect. I know God. I know who he is. Or are you able to get kind of caught up in a way like whenever, like this morning, if you were in the Sunday morning service, when you hear a beautiful piece of music, it's like it stirs your soul up. Have you perceived God in creation? Look through all the different things that are around you as you're walking through your life and ask, God, what are you trying to show me through this? What windows into your soul are you giving me? Because he's, he loves us so much that what he's really done in creation is he's kind of created this, this multi-dimensional portrait of himself. And we're able to look through it to get to know him. And that's a gift. Okay, so now that we've kind of looked through that first part of creation, let's look at the special creation. This is going to be in verses 26 and 27. It's the special part of creation that most clearly shows God's eternal power and his divine nature within this doctrine of creation, um, and that is human beings. Okay, so 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, as you see later in 27, that word for man is it's really just a general term meaning human beings, male and female. So let us make people in our image after our likeness. I, I grew up uh, in church hearing the phrase people are made in the image of God a lot, but I really didn't ever stop to think about like what that meant. And I'm wondering, how would you put that in your own words? If someone said, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, think about what an image is, right? An, an image, that is a, a visual representation of something, right? So 
God, he is invisible, he's in heaven, he's ruling over everything, and he creates human beings as his visible representatives here on earth to rule earth, that, that language of dominion, let them have dominion over all the earth, to rule earth the way that he rules heaven. Do you realize what this means? This means that every single person, if you look around right now, every single person that you see in this room, every single person you've ever seen in your life or you will see, when you look at them, you're looking at a self-portrait of God as if he's a painter. So let me ask you something. Um, what if you were a painter and you made a self-portrait for somebody who lived on the other side of the world who had never met you? For some reason, technology's out of the picture. They can't know what you look like. So you mail it to them. Here's who I am. And then word gets back to you that when they got that portrait, they took one look at it, and then they tossed it into a dark corner in their attic so they would never have to look at it again. Or what if, when they got it, they had hung it up in their living room so that their friends and them could make fun of all the different funny ways that it looked? Or what if they hung it up in their room to lust over it? Or what if they took it to a shooting range so that they could practice on it and feel powerful over it? How would that make you feel? How, how much more must the perfect and holy God of the universe feel whenever we disrespect another person or ourselves who is made in his image, one of his self-portraits? Because we're not just hurting ourselves and our neighbor when we do that, but we're actually disrespecting the one in whom were made in his image. So let me ask you, is there somebody, as you just think about this, is there somebody in your life right now, whether it's somebody in the corner of the classroom, somebody who you laugh at whenever they're not in the room, is it yourself as you're constantly working throughout the day and you're noticing all the faults and the flaws that you see in yourself? Who is the person, whether it's yourself or your neighbor, that you are not treating like they are made in the image of God? And what if, what would life look like if we turned from doing that and instead started looking at every single person and saying, regardless of how, to me, they may look unattractive, unathletic, unintelligent, awkward, fill in the blank, this is still a self-portrait of God. And what are the things that they excel at that I'm weak at that I can see a, a, a different and more stronger, beautiful side of God than I may see whenever I initially just look in the mirror? What the image of God teaches us is that every single person has equal value and there's something really beautiful for us to see, not just in ourselves whenever we look in the mirror, but in one another every time that we're looking at one another. So let's enjoy that and get to know God better by treating every person like they're made in the image of God. I can tell you this on that, on that note. Um, I was incredibly insecure in high school, especially my, my freshman year. And I remember just one day hearing in a sermon the pastor talk about this. And it changed my worldview and my life because I started moving throughout my life thinking to myself, regardless of how I'm performing, my value is not tied to that. My value is tied to the fact that I cannot extricate the image of God from myself. By existing as a person, I have inherent worth and value. And then the person next to me does too. And it helped me to be kind to other people in a way that I had not been before because I thought of myself in a, in, a, in a judgment way. I was constantly evaluating myself as less than or pridefully more than other people. So let this, as you hear this, sink into your bones and let it have the same effect on you that it had on me because it's a beautiful truth. But there's this flip side. This is a two-sided coin to having the image of God, right? It's not just that we have inherent value and worth, 
But there's the flip side that we're called to be like God. It's both a, a passive receiving thing and it's an active assignment, right? And so have you ever wondered, have you ever kind of felt like what, like, what are we really doing whenever we get together on Sunday mornings like this and we listen to teaching or we get together on a weekday to do a Bible study or you read your Bible in your morning? Is that just time that's set apart in your mind to learn about God? And period, end of the sentence, that's where it ends. Or, according to being made in the image of God, do you think about those times as I'm learning about God so that I can praise him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then go be like him immediately and love your neighbor as you love yourself, right? The two great commandments. The, the doctrine of the image of God is the end of thinking that we are just, basically our bodies are just like transportations for our heads so we can build up knowledge of God. No, the calling on the Christian is to know God, to love God, and to become like God. And so think of church. Ch- church is like a classroom where the subject is God, He's also the teacher through his scriptures, and there's always an implicit homework assignment of, of leaving the classroom and going and being like him. But the neat thing is that it's not, when I say homework, obviously that probably catalyzes some, ugh, I don't want to do that feelings in you. It's not a chore though. It's a gift. It's actually like, if, what if today you got cast in the next Marvel film as like the greatest hero in all the lineup of like the next generation of Avengers? Or what if you randomly got a call and they're like, hey, we've seen some of your tape. We think you've got what it takes. You're going to be the quarterback of the team that last won the Super Bowl. I don't even know who that was. Who was that? Rams? That's right. I watched that game. Okay, so the Rams. They're like, hey, Stafford's out. You're in. Or what if you randomly got a call and it was like, hey, we've been watching your character. We've been watching the way that you handle yourself, your modesty. We're actually going to nominate you as the next Miss Universe, and you're going to be a voice for the marginalized throughout the world. Whatever it is, fill in the blank of this amazing thing that you get nominated up to. How would you respond to that? You wouldn't say, no thanks. The role's been given to you. It's not your choice. So what do you do? You immediately start shifting your thinking to think like the kind of person who's going to fill that role. And you, if you're doing that, like, we'll stick with the acting analogy. You learn your lines so you can talk like that person. And you get in the gym so you can look and move like that person. You start embodying what you've been called to. And that's what it's like whenever we're made in the image of God. We're being called to image the eternal, great and glorious, powerful, life-giving, humble, hardworking, all the attributes I listed earlier, the perfect one. That's what we're being called into. It's a gift. It's not a chore. So I'm wondering... This is the question for us this morning is, is who, who are we trying to be like? Who, whose image are we actually believing that we're made in? Is it somebody who's like an influencer on social media, somebody we're following in that category, somebody in school that we look up to? Or are we seeing through the good and beautiful things in that person to the God behind it? Are we perceiving him clearly and whose image we're made in? Okay, so... Go with me now to verse 31 one more time. And we'll look at this verse. I'm going to share some bad news and then the good news. Um, and then, then we'll be done. So verse 31, uh, God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. We, um, and I'm guilty of this, we live in a culture of exaggeration. It's like really easy for us to talk about everything is awesome. Everything is incredible. That is, what is it, Kenneth says? That's gas. Whatever it is. 
if I say something's very good, that just sounds like pretty chill, right? Like, for example, McDonald's is good. Whataburger is very good. Chick-fil-A is awesome, right? Like, for normal people at least. So, <laughs> um, but when God says, the perfect God who cannot lie, when he says, he looks at his finished creation, imagine, and he says, very good. And he's enjoying that. He's not just saying good, as in there's no bad in it. He's saying very good. It's not just perfect. It is overflowing with perfection. That's how he looks at it. Christianity, by the way, is the only religion in the world that says, it's not saying, look, the, it doesn't condemn the material world as, as evil and then the spiritual world is good. So a Christian, whenever we go out and we are able to look around at nature and enjoy a good meal and talk to somebody who we love, we're actually not, there's no need to feel guilty over those things. Those are actually good gifts from God. If anything, we're pressed to delight in those things all the more because God, when he looked at it in a delightful way, he said it's very good. You remember I talked about like there was a secret in verse 1 of God and his eternality? There's a secret here in verse 31, and that's the reason why God made everything. Of course, to glorify himself. But at the end, his final statement on why is, this is very good. It's because God is a God of delight, and he overflows in delight to give delightful things to his creation, especially as image bearers like us. And so, I think this is really important for us to recognize because especially whenever I'm, I'm thinking about from this morning's sermon, talking about temptation, when I'm in temptation, what's happening to me in that moment in retrospect when I think about it is Satan is tempting me to focus and fixate on the one thing that I cannot have in that moment. And he's taking my eyes off of all the delightful, very good things that God has already provided that I can have. If think about what was the first lie or the first temptation that we ever see Satan even use in the Bible. It's in the next chapter. We'll kind of talk about it in coming weeks. But he, the very first thing he says when he's tempting Adam and Eve is he says, did God actually say that you can't eat of any tree in the garden? It's a lie. God said you can have every tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's one that he said, don't define right and wrong for yourselves. Image me and trust my definition of right and wrong. Everything else, delight in and enjoy. But Satan says, did he really say you can't have any of these trees? He tries to make us focus and get this idea of God as like a divine happiness stealer. So let me ask you, have you fallen for that temptation or bit on that lie? And here's a test for you on that. Think about it like this. Do you think of Christianity primarily as a list of don'ts? Don't do this. Don't do that. This thing that would make you happy, this thing that you think would satisfy and fulfill you, do not do that. Are you looking at God, viewing him as a divine happiness stealer? Or are you remembering through the, the cleansing of the truth of his word that he is a God of goodness and he gives very good gifts to his children? And in those moments when we're being torn into by Satan because he's constantly trying to lift these different temptations up. Look at the things that God won't let you have. Are you taking your eye off of that and saying, look at every other tree of the garden that he's given me? Satan, I don't need the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's enough delight, a delight for me here for eternity. Okay, so... I'll make sure. I feel like there's one thing inside of there that I'm not hitting. Oh, yeah. 
It's just an easy application. I want to challenge you something. If you're finding Christianity to feel like something that is cold and happiness stealing, as crazy as this may sound, the Bible's call on, on us this morning is when you get up and you walk out of these doors, look around and drink in creation, go have a good meal, talk to somebody who you enjoy talking to this week, go make something that brings you happiness and you know bring somebody else happiness if you got to share it with them, whether that's in an athletic sports world or whether that's a creative endeavor like art or music. And as you're doing all those things, reflect on the delight that is naturally coursing through your veins as you do them and you are living out the image of God. And thank God, lead that into worship of him. And as you taste and see that he is good, it's like that song, as, as you taste and see that it's good, the things of the earth, the different like temptations of Satan, they're going to grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace. Okay, so now, again, the, the, the finale, the, the bad and then the good news. The bad news is that if you haven't already, and this morning you start to believe in and live out the doctrine of creation and the image of God, you're going to realize something very, very quickly. Both in creation and in people, everything is not still very good and only very good. Because our first parents, Adam and Eve, and every one of us from their line from that point forward, we've all fallen for that temptation and bit on that lie of Satan, and we've taken and eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and tried to define who we want to be based on just our wants and sinful desires instead of on who God calls us to be in the delightful path there. Evil, suffering, and death have entered in as a consequence of sin and contaminated everything within creation. There's still vestiges of it left within us and within creation, right? It's like stars in the night sky. Like you can still see the light, but there is brokenness right now woven into the originally very good creation. That's the bad news within us and outside of us. But the good news, and if you hear nothing else from me today, hear this. The good news is that God is so perfect and so holy that he will not allow his very good creation to remain that way. He is making all things new. So flip with me to Colossians chapter 1, and let's see how he's doing that. Colossians Chapter 1, again, Paul reflecting and led by the Holy Spirit, perfectly articulating the secrets that are buried in Genesis 1. Filtered through Jesus, he says, this is in verse 15. These are pieces of 15 through 20. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I laughed whenever uh, Will at one point he was like, God, I mean Jesus, who is fully God. You want a verse that talks about fully God and fully human? Here's one. Jesus, that's who we're talking about here. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth. When we read about God in the beginning creating the heavens and the earth, that's God the Father through God the Son and in the power of God the Spirit creating all things in heaven and on earth. Which means, like we talked about earlier, the eternal power and the divine nature that show forth through creation if we perceive it from God, those are Jesus' eternal power and his divine nature. And for all the ways that you 
and I and every person that we've ever encountered, we have not perfectly imaged God like our calling is, having been made in his image. There is one who did. And what the perfect image of God looks like, he is the image of the invisible God, is he left the glory and the comfort of heaven, and he came and he lived a life of joyful servanthood, and then he died for the sins of the world because of selfless love. But it also looks like him rising again from the dead on the third day, victorious over the grave, ascending to rule at the right hand of God the Father, and one day coming back to make all things new and very good again. And his promise is that, given to us from the ministry of Christ through the apostles, contained now in the scriptures and administered as we encourage one another on this broken road. The, the, the promise is that for everyone who looks upon Jesus and believes in him as the image of God and the creator of heaven and earth, Lord and Savior, every imperfection within you in regards to the way you're not perfectly imaging God is forgiven. The wrath of God and his justice poured out on Jesus, done. It is finished for Jesus' last words on the cross. Every way that you desire to look like God, to be that perfect image bearer, you look to Christ as your example, and as you look at him, it actually says, there's this beautiful verse, and uh, it's in 2 Corinthians. It says, as we are beholding Jesus face to face, the spirit transforms us to look like him. You become what you behold. It's like a simple way of saying it. So as we look at him and we see the image of God, we're actually sanctified to the image of God. That divine nature that we're called to show, we're on a path of healing whenever we believe in Jesus. And it's going to come to a culmination whenever all evil is done away with and only the holiness and the purity within us by the Holy Spirit remains for all eternity. And we're able to worship God in gladness as his perfect images again. And as far as creation goes, that brokenness, that evil, that suffering, those things that have invaded, cancer, human pride, death. Jesus, when he comes back, he's going to make all things new. There will be no more suffering, no more mourning, no more crying, no more evil, no more death. All, all will be done and all things will be made new again. And so that's the doctrine of creation in the image of God, that it was created very good, and it fell, but God is remaking it better than before because of the glory of his son. So do you, this morning, do you want to see God perfectly reflected in a person? Do you want to perfectly reflect God to other people as an image bearer of God? And do you want to see creation made very good again now, forever, and always? Behold Jesus. If you don't know what that looks like, what's a practical step to do that, one thing that I've been doing that's been really helpful for me, and I encourage you to join me in it, is we're going through uh, like a Bible reading plan. Through Instagram, you can find the reading plan. We're going through the Gospels. What better way to behold Jesus than to read the biographies by those who walked with him here on earth? We're about to finish Luke, and then we're going to go into John, and it's actually a perfect time to dive in, because John is the one that most clearly is drawing on this fully God and fully man theology and showing Jesus as the image of God and God himself. Um, so I, I encourage y'all, invite y'all in. If you're not beholding Jesus and you're not experiencing being transformed into his image, join us on that, on that path of reading and behold him every single day. Because one day he is going to come back and for those who don't believe in him, he will cast them out to everlasting torment. But for those who do believe in him, he will keep them forever for us to enjoy that very good original creation, actually even better than it was before. Because now it won't be just two people in perfect creation, but all the saints throughout all time, worshiping him forever and ever. So please join me in praying.
as, uh, as we just praise God for that glorious truth and that invitation in. Father, thank you for your word that uh, lights up the world around us so we can see it truly. Thank you for your word made flesh, your son by whom we can accurately interpret your word and can thank you for forgiveness of our sins and Father, your accomplished work on our behalf because we could not image you, but you sent your image to die the death that we deserve by living the perfect life that we did and then rising again to eternal life so that when we believe, uh, we will too. And we're set on that trajectory starting today as we're transformed into the image of your son, Father. Please help us all to behold Jesus, creating us clean hearts that desire to see your beauty. And like, help us to be able to sing, Father, just like David does in the Psalms, that one thing we would ask of you, nothing else, that we could, in your temple, gaze upon your beauty and inquire into the depths of it for all eternity. Help us to see you in creation, in one another, and to image you by the power of your spirit and for the glory of your triune name. Amen.